Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Dave, three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all time and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Rocktail Hour is now an affiliate of Amazon.com, so if you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway, it would be cool if you would first click on the Amazon.com link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or affiliates page, and Amazon will kick a few bucks back to Rocktail Hour to help fund the free podcast. Today, Tim actually has a mystery for us. Treg and I do not know what he is about to uh, tell us about, so Tim, unveil the mystery. Well, I think we probably all have um, a couple of bands that maybe we're not embarrassed to admit that we like. But uh, we might get a little bit of grief, New right? New Kids on the Block? Sure, yeah. New Kids on the Block. Uh, White Snake. I think we've certainly <laughs> certainly given Treg a bad time about White Snake, that's for sure. So do either of you have one that you might be embarrassed that you'd be willing to share? Oh, that's a good question. A Guilty Pleasure Band? Yeah. Guilty Pleasure Band. Um, I actually think Little River Band has a couple of good cuts. See, I would agree with that. I love Little River Band. I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that, yes. I'll reveal a little. You know who impressed the heck out of me at the Super Bowl that I actually appreciate as an artist is Bruno Mars. Oh, okay. I'll I'll take. Uh, I, he's not my kind of music. I haven't bought his album, but as an artist, I certainly appreciate what he does, and Very he was phenomenally fun to watch. So sometimes people are really good performers, and mm-hmm. you know you may not appreciate you know their style of music, but the the performances are excellent. So anyway, I'll share with you a couple of mine, and then I'm going to do a, a podcast about my favorite guilty pleasure. And, I love it. Yeah, can't so wait. Here, so here we go. Um, my top 10 guilty pleasures would be Twisted Sister at number 10. Ah, I love Twisted good Sister. Good one. I'm a fan. The videos <laughs> in the 80s were some of the best on yep. TV. Uh, I like the Culture Club, and I'm not embarrassed to admit it. Oh, I like the Culture Club. Okay. Yeah. No, I think Sorry. he's a good singer, right? I don't know. I've got mixed emotions. Okay. Very... I'm a man with mixed emotions. I don't know. Fair <laughs> enough. I'm sure that's an allusion to a Culture Club song, but I don't recognize it. I don't even know if it's a correct yeah. allusion. Number eight would be Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond oh, I would. Like Neil Diamond. Neil oh, Diamond, he's outstanding. Yeah, except that you know what? If he wasn't such a dink, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as a person, he's like he totally has no idea that his self-image is is laughable. You know, his own self-image. Well, his Diamond. If he would have gotten rid of that name, I think sure. he would have been better yeah, off. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. So that was number eight. Number seven is Prince. I like Prince. Uh, but no, mostly okay. only because of um, the Purple Rain album. Well, yeah. Clapton has praised Prince on multiple occasions sure. for his guitar skills. Yeah, I don't think many people would argue about about Prince. Prince is a, a great artist. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get some grief over this one, but I like Christopher Cross. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you just said that yeah, on a rock I did. and roll on podcast? On a rock and roll podcast, I did. <laughs> I, like, I like Christopher Cross. Okay. Christopher Cross, if you want to play at my birthday, please do. All right. Um, I like Lionel Richie. I actually really like Lionel Richie, and especially those songs from 1984 off of that same album. Um, I like Men at Work, and we've done a podcast on Men at Work. So I was a huge fan. I actually sat by my VCR for five hours in a row, ready to hit the play record button because I wanted to get uh, minute work videos on my D. Wow. On my, mm. on my, I was a huge fan of these. Yeah. Cool. Loved those guys. Cool. Yeah, I love minute work. Howard Jones would be number three. I really like Howard Jones. Howard Jones is very Utah friendly, mostly because I think his um, his uh, 
songs or you're not you're not afraid of taking the whole family to see howard jones you mm. know because oh. none of his songs have anything that would be offensive i've stayed at his hotels i've never seen him live yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh wait no that's the howard yeah. johnson sorry um i like john cougar and i don't not john cougar Mellencamp. i like john cougar okay because i really liked his first album jack and diane yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah, great great album, album. Yeah. so I'm i like heartland music yeah I'm with you i like john cougar and i'm sure he would be really mad at me referring to him as that can you guess what my number one might be 80s band no oh what, what you more current uh oh no 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 oh duran duran think no i like duran duran though they duran. could have been on that list Jim Croce. Think think back. Jim Croce's not a guilty pleasure. Jim yeah. Croce's just good. <laughs> yeah, sure. Think back think back about the time of the Beatles. Uh the Turtles? No, I'm going to tell you. The Monkeys. The Monkeys. Oh, it's the Monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? I love the monkeys. I do. Because I loved watching their television show and I really like their music and, and I defy you not to enjoy their music when you when you hear it. It's it's fun. It's fun. It totally it's is. fun, good music. But let me tell you, for a band that's a guilty pleasure, let me tell you a little bit about the monkeys. Okay. Hey, let me just say one thing before you go. The only thing I have against the monkeys is that I think they're largely credited with kind of being the first boy band. Sure. And I could be wrong there, but their progenitors, I hate. But by the same token, <laughs> Led Zeppelin had their offspring was terrible. White Snake. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But um, anyway, well, that's the only thing I have against the monkeys. Other than that, the reason that the monkeys got music. formed is because of the success of the movie Help. Um, or no, excuse me, the success of the movie Hard Day's Night. Right, and so this, you know, there's some TV producers who got together right. and said, "Hey, let's let's capitalize on that." So a lot of people refer to the uh, to the monkeys, and I love this as the prefab four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they really uh, early on, you know, they were they were not terribly strong musicians necessarily, but they certainly over time uh, became proficient and learned how to play their own music, and 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 in fact demanded that they play their own music. Where, you know, before they had people that were coming in and playing the music and laying down the music and then they would sing with it and then, of course, act uh, even in concert. And so they were very concerned um, that they wanted to be taken seriously as musicians as well as, you know, just, you know, personality and images. So, all right. So let me tell you a little bit about um, the Monkees. They had the top charting American single of 1967, which is I'm a Believer. Uh, and they... Uh, had uh, Daydream Believer, which tied for third. They gave the Jimi Hendrix Experience their first U.S. concert appearance as an opening act in July 1967. That alone wow. legitimizes them <laughs> into eternity. Good for the monkeys. Jimi Hendrix's heavy psychedelic guitar and sexual overtones did not go over well with the teenage girls in the audience, and they booed him. No way. <laughs> yep. You're kidding me. Which eventually led to Jimi Hendrix leaving the tour early. So there you go. Now, is that that's Jimi Hendrix before going to London? Oh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, Chandler. I don't know the time frame. That's yeah. my guess. I don't know. I'm asking. Yeah, I, I don't know the time frame. But clearly, obviously, Jimi Hendrix wasn't well known. You yeah, because Hendrix had to go to London to get notoriety and recognition before he came, got it in the States. So maybe that was. Maybe he got booed here, yeah. left to London, and then all because of the monkeys. But that's pretty amazing, you know, to think that Jimi Hendrix opened for the monkeys. Yeah. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was inspired to introduce the character of Chekhov 
in the Star Trek series in response to the popularity of Davy Jones. I always thought they yeah. were familiar. So Chekhov, Chekhov was oh, um, that's interesting. designed to look just like Davy Jones to kind of to kind of wow. get that kind of an audience. So Is there, there you someone go. on Star Trek that looked like Marsha Brady so they could say, oh, Chekhov's so dreamy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that episode of Brady Bunch yes. where Marsha Brady's swooning over <laughs> Davy Jones? Yeah. I'll never watch that cheek again. Yeah. <laughs> they were the first artist to win two Emmy Awards. The first music artist to win two Emmy Awards, sorry. They had seven albums on the Billboard Top 200 chart at the same time. And that's uh, uh, during 1986 and 1987 when they had kind of reformed and were touring again. And that was huge. That was a that was a big deal when they toured again. They did very successful or they were very successful at that. Uh, six of the seven, six of the seven albums were reissues because of that. So hmm. most of their albums were on the top 200. They were the one of the first artists achieving number one hits in the U.S. and the U.K. simultaneously. They had four number one albums in a one-year span. They held the number one spot on the Billboard album chart for 31 consecutive weeks and 37 weeks total. And they, between 1966 and 1970, they released 185 songs on nine albums, five, oh, excuse me, nine stereo albums, five mono albums, and nine non-LP singles. And so they were not only successful, they were very prolific. So um, they were very successful and quite popular. And I, you know, I would make an argument that um, although most of their music was lighthearted, I still think it was pretty good music. And, you know, as a kid growing up, especially as a young kid, uh, I don't know that I ever caught any of the Monkees TV series um, when they were originally airing, but I caught them on reruns as a small kid and they were really entertaining. Uh, yeah, and I, I loved them as a kid. And I caught them recently again because we had kind of always thought my youngest son might like them. He has kind of a funny sense of humor. Well, they stand the test of time. They're good, you know. They're very, very entertaining. And and as a group of of people who were not only you know selected for their look and their personalities, um, you know, they turned out to be pretty good musicians as well. Now they didn't write any of their own music. I they did later on. At first, they did. Okay. at first they didn't, but they really fought uh, the studio to to become what they considered to be a real band. And and even early on, they they they'd get uh, a couple of things thrown at them to sort of appease them. And so they you know they'd get to write a couple of songs, um, and not all of them were interested in writing. Um, in you know we could have an entire podcast or two or three podcasts about the story of the monkeys. Cause it's fairly interesting, but they were, they were pretty well respected. The Beatles, um, they hung out with the Beatles and, and they played on some of their albums, uh, some of their solo work. They've, um, a couple of them played on, on George Harrison's solo work and they hung out with the Beatles and Harry Nielsen, who was, uh, of all of them, the coolest. We should we should take some time and talk about Harry Nielsen. Sometimes he's the most famous person that you never know, hmm. um, and the Beatles loved him too. But the the um, John Lennon really liked not only the, the Monkees personally, but he was a real fan of the show. You know, he thought they he thought the show was really good, and and so they they weren't unrespected or disrespected in the music community. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I would say that um, their commercial success was for very good reason. Here's an interesting distinction for me, though. I always think of music in these terms, or sometimes I try to think of artists in these terms. 
you're an artist or an, you're an entertainer and sometimes you're kind of both mm -hmm. but you know the boy bands are clearly for me entertainers i don't think of them as artists right if you're an artist you're the creative driving force behind what you're doing so it sounds like the monkeys started off as kind of entertainers if you'll go with me on my categorizations here um they were kind of they started off they started off as entertainers but wanted to move towards being artists writing their own music and being mm -hmm. a more legitimate band later in their career and do you think they were successful in that it, it, it's hard to tell because um i i don't know enough about the monkeys to know at what point they were writing exclusively their own material gotcha and and clearly some of their best work was some of their earlier work you know right um I really like the theme from the, the, the TV series, you know, that's a great song and no matter how you look at it, that's a, you know, that is an excellent song. The one thing that they couldn't do and, and they pushed very hard as they were, um, because of the success of the TV show, uh, they pushed very hard to tour together as the monkeys. And of course, um, they didn't want to lips, you know, they didn't want to just sing to, to music that was already pre-recorded. And, and, and they do indicate that at the very beginning, they, they had a hard time sounding like what they sounded like, you know, what the, the studio music sounded like, but over time they got better. And a lot of people think they didn't know how to play, uh, from the very beginning and that they had to learn how to play in order to get to that level. And that's not necessarily true. Um, as a matter of fact, they, they had them all, nobody wanted to be the drummer <laughs> and they had to have somebody be the drummer. Right? right. And Davy Jones was actually the best drummer of all of them. Um, but clearly he was going to be the front man. And so, and the other thing too, is when he said, Dolan's was the drummer, right? Yes. And, and so when, and then when, and then when, uh, Davy Jones sat behind the drums, he looked so tiny and, and you know, yeah. that, that it just didn't work, but he, he was by far the best drummer. Um, and so it wasn't that they couldn't play. It was that early on they um, had such a, a tight filming schedule that they didn't have time to record the music as well, aside, the, aside from just going in and singing to what had already been pre-recorded. But uh, they were pretty good guys. You know, the band, the actual, the players of the music, the musicians didn't get any credit on the albums. And that really, really bothered the monkeys. Because even though they wanted to be the ones that played the music, they certainly wanted the, the artists that played the music to get the credit if it wasn't them. And and so, you know, there were some some struggles early on. That's respectable. That's yeah, cool. absolutely. They were good people. Um, so the podcast really isn't about the monkeys per se, except that they have such an interesting story. And it's kind of funny. You know, I, you, know you kind of feel silly about saying, you know, I'm going to do a podcast about monkeys on uh, a podcast about the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times, but they certainly historically have a, a, a great part of um, rock and roll music, and, and so they're at least worth mentioning because of that. But I'm a huge fan, and I and I think that they deserve more respect than I think that they get again from the public. I think people that you know respect music probably like we've talked about. Yeah, they're pretty good, you know, and they're good entertainers. And I do think at a certain point. Um, they probably did, you know, become artists in my mind, except that they had such a, a sketchy history as far as being able to get together and work together and things like that. So I think their biggest legacy, of course, is is the early on stuff, the TV show and, and, and the time period when maybe they weren't the artist that they are now. Right. So 
I think that might be fair. The reason that I picked the monkeys is because my favorite song uh, by the monkeys is last train, the Clarksville. Yes. That's what I was hoping for. (laughs) I love last train of Clarksville and it wasn't written by the monkeys. Um, It's a great tune. Do you know what it's about? I don't. I know the song. I can sing the chorus easily, but I don't know what it's about. Okay. So, so last train to Clarksville was written by Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart. And the song has been compared to the Beatles' paperback writer and with good um, – and for good reason because the writers heard paperback writer and decided they wanted to write a similar song. They wanted to have um, the the monkeys have a similar feel to the Beatles, which has sort of led to some criticism that they were really trying to rip off the Beatles. And as I've said in, in the research I've done, it, it sounds to me like – you know, some, if not all of the members of the band were pretty good friends with the Beatles. Um, but it's designed uh, to have that feel of the Beatles. And so you've got that no, 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 which is supposed to mirror the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and they deliberately so did that. They deliberately put no, no, no in the last train to Clarksville to sort of evoke that same kind of feel. But the last train to Clarksville is an interesting song because, you know, back in the 60s, it was really hard, um, especially in a, in, a, in a group like uh, in a group like the Monkees, to to write serious things and and get away with it. So you couldn't you couldn't write about serious or even uh, controversial topics unless you were really careful and kind of buried it just a little bit. Um, uh, in fact, Peter Paul and Mary sing a song uh, about "I love rock and roll," and they talk about not being able to say what they really want to say unless you read it between the lines. Right. And so you mask that message so that so that you say what you want to say, but it's hard to it's hard for most people to figure out what you're talking about. Well, Last Train to Clarksville is a reference to Vietnam and it's an anti-war song. Um, Clarksville refers Clarksville refers to Clarksville, Tennessee. Now, the songwriters didn't really realize this. Interesting enough, they, they, they were talking about an Arizona town called Clarksdale and they decided Clarksville or excuse me, they decided that Clarksdale didn't sound right, and so they went with Clarksville. But there's actually a uh, military base in Clarksville, Tennessee, and so the song is about uh, somebody who's about to be shipped off to Vietnam, and it says, uh, uh, so he calls his girlfriend or his wife and, and asks her to come to Clarksville so that they can get together one last time before he's shipped off. And it's a, it's a pretty poignant song, if you think about it, and I'll read you some of the lyrics. Um, take the last train to Clarksville and I'll meet you at the station. You can be there by 430 because I've made your reservation. Don't be slow. And then, of course, the no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Hmm. Um, and then it's because I'm leaving in the morning and I must see you again. We'll have one more night together till the morning brings my train and I must go. And then that uh, kind of bouncy no, no, no. And then it says, and I don't know if I'm ever coming home. And and all of a sudden, as you know what the words and the, and, and the intent are behind the song, you realize that there's a really powerful message going on there. And the whole the whole uh, the whole song is this, you know, young man who's about to go off to Vietnam trying to convince his, you know, girlfriend, wife, whatever, uh, to hurry and come see him one last time because, you know, he doesn't know if he's going to make it back. Cool. So it's a, you know, it's an excellent song and, and, you know, there's not much story behind it except that that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to, to put something in there that they felt very strongly about, which was an anti-war message and in a, in a song by a group that was sort of for, you know, young kids and, and young girls, you know, um, 
And so I, I think that's excellent, but you know, I can't say enough good about the monkeys. I, I, I own several of their songs and, you know, I'll be listening to music on my phone or, or whatever. And I'm at the point now that even though, you know, you've got, you know, 28 hours worth of songs, there's still some of them that as soon as they come on, you skip because you've heard them enough. But I don't think I've ever skipped any of the monkeys. I really enjoy them. <laughs> there's the litmus test. Yeah, so so there you go. Well, at risk of blaspheming the Beatles here, I think, actually, let me ask you this. Do you know what year this came out? Uh, yes, I do. It was 1966. Okay, so check this out. There's kind of a folkloric story that I've heard about Bob Dylan and John Lennon sitting in the back of a limo. And this was one of the turning points, the pivotal points of the Beatles when they went from their bubblegum pop era over to kind of the Rubber Soul album and getting a little more substantive with their lyrical content. And Lennon, or sorry, Bob Dylan's talking to John Lennon and he says, love your music and I love what you guys are doing, but you need to say something. You guys aren't saying anything with your music. Mm -hmm. And supposedly that hit Lennon to the core and was part of his kind of turnaround and what, you know, led the Beatles into another direction. Well, props to the monkeys for this, because this is actually a really substantive, and I love the read between the lines part of it. And even the coincidence with Clarksville, they did this in 1966 when the Beatles were, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline, but they were still on their bubblegum pop era. I think or that, no? I think by then you were you were into uh, Eleanor Rigby and Strawberry Fields and oh were you really by nineteen yeah, I, th- I thought it was sixty seven that they kind of flipped it well sixty seven was uh, remember they broke up in in nineteen seventy and sixty seven was Sergeant Pepper so I know oh that I'm wrong then. you had okay. you had Eleanor Rigby and some of those songs yeah. that came out well before uh, before that time but. Uh, so you had some some of the you still had some bubblegummy feel songs uh, on the on the Beatles albums, but you could see and sort of feel that transition coming, uh, but between the two different songs. Okay, I'm just uh, trying hard to give a, throw an olive branch over <laughs> the monkeys here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Maybe I'm trying too hard. I don't know that they need an. <laughs> Sorry, ol- Mr. Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, I don't know that they need an olive branch, and I'll just I'll just end with this because I you know I think this is telling. You know, we talked about all those stats before. Last train to Clarksville, by the way. Uh, Top 500, Rolling Stone, where do you think it lands? I'd put it in the 300s. I'd put 200s. 72. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's not on there. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) (laughs) But it should be on the list. But uh, this is is the one stat that I think is really interesting, and that is that at their peak, the band outsold both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones um, in 1967. So wow, yeah, that's that's a significant stat. You got to be doing something right. Yep. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about even Michael Jackson and and Thriller, and it's easy to make it's easy for me to make fun of Michael Jackson and Thriller because that came at a time when Michael Jackson wasn't cool to me. You know, as a as a seventeen eighteen year old, you know, it wasn't cool to admit that that Michael Jackson was you know as good as he was. But Michael Jackson was an artist. I don't think he was just an entertainer. Oh, and, I totally agree. And so, you know, you, you got to give respect where respect is due. But I, I just their their music just makes me happy, you know. And then to find out that, uh, you know, I'm not sure that the Monkees. I don't know honestly if if they were involved in the in the controversial, you know, anti-war lyrics of the song or if they just recorded it. But it's an interesting. Uh, side note in a in a career of some very successful young men. So there you go. 
All right. Well, thanks, Tim. That was uh, actually a, a great one. And I don't think the, the monkeys are a guilty pleasure by any stretch, personally. Uh, you can listen to a clip from the song on iTunes by clicking on the album link on the Rocktail Hour website. Email us at dudes at Rocktail Hour if you think we got it all wrong or if you have an interesting Rocktail of your own. Or if you have a recommendation of a song that would be a good subject. We love recommendations from the listeners. If you think we're just lame, please keep that to yourself. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes, please. Until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. Rock on.